it's incredible, Doug, that you're with us. Uh, did you ever feel that you would be launching the largest ship in the world after so many largest ships in the world prior to the icon of the seas? Uh, well, it, it seems to be a habit, I think. You know, we've had uh, the last five uh, Oasis-class ships, which each have been the largest um, since. Uh, and now we've got Icon, which is about uh, 15,000 gross tons larger. So when you really look at the numbers, it's not incredibly larger than the Oasis clashes. Now we're talking Oasis of the Seas, Allure of the Seas, Harmony of the Seas, uh, Symphony of the Seas, uh, and we soon have Utopia of the Seas coming out in July. Um, so there, it's not tremendously larger, but it is a complete redesign. So it's taking all the things we had on the Oasis class, kind of adjusting them around and just making them better well let's that's i mean i wanted to talk about the gross tonnage of 256,000 tons and we get i want to get onto that design it's really important for for our listeners and viewers to be able to un understand the size of this beautiful lady uh, getting ready to sail the seven seas uh is it true that the the 5610 guests will be able to sail on this ship for seven day cruises well, that's total occupancy. If you actually include all guests that we can allow on board, it's over 7,000. Now, how can that be sustainable? Is it, well, I'm sure it is sustainable. How do you make it sustainable, should I ask? Um, you know, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. Our operational teams do an incredible job. And, and as I said, we've been doing this now since, you know, the Oasis and the Allure rolled out in 2008 and 2009. So this isn't us jumping from a ship half this size and really just diving headfirst into this much larger vessel. It really is kind of an evolution uh, into uh, managing that many people. And really when we talk about both iPhone and Oasis class ships, it's all about the design. So we get a lot of you know eyes rolling when we say, hey, this could be the biggest ship in the world. We can take up to 7,000 people, uh, over 5,000 double occupancy, uh, and people get scared or turned off from that. But if you really look at how the ship is designed in different neighborhoods, um, you know, you've got a lot of small spaces and that's built so people don't feel like they're surrounded by thousands of people at any given time. Well, you so, can, I just want to just interject there. Sorry to interject because it's such an important point. That is what I wanted to raise with my questions. Um, you fit everybody within this neighborhood. Can you tell us about the, the neighborhood, uh, the design, the neighborhood design within this ship and the other ships of this similar classes as well? Because it is groundbreaking and new to the cruise industry. So, so the idea is that if you were to take, let's just assume you had a ship half the size of Icon of the Seas and you wanted to build a larger one, um, you wanted to double its size. You don't just take all the lounges and make them double their, them in size. What you do is you add another hundred different venues. And this way, and you make them smaller. This way people feel like they are in a more intimate setting than surrounded by that many people. Now the, the neighborhood concept isn't built to keep anyone from going from one neighborhood to another. You can, you can come, as go, come and go as many times as you like. It really is, again, to make people feel like they're in a smaller area. So if you look at things like our Central Park, which is on Icon and our Oasis class ships, it's got over you know 12,000 plants in an open area. Um, so that's one neighborhood. Then you've got the boardwalk, which exists on our uh, Oasis class ships, uh, also known as Surfside on Icon. And that's really kind of more family orientated for more kids. Um, so everyone's got their own space, but you can come and go as you like. There's no restrictions. 
how does it how does that work doug when it comes to embarkation disembarkation uh for shore excursions and of course at the beginning of the voyage and at the end of the, the vacation are there so, different gangways yeah you're absolutely right that could be a big scary thing and uh going back to 08 and 09 when we launched the oasis class um we really sat down regulations on things like um, the safety drill on board. When you get on board the ship, you've got to go through a safety drill. And back then we found out that there was no requirement back then that said you had to bring your life vest with you when you went to the safety drill. As you you, you might remember, Tony, that you used to go get, go get the life vest. Everything would stop on board for about an hour. They'd have to go and they'd have to go sit down on the lounge or stand down outside. So we discovered you didn't need that anymore. So we don't require, we don't require that any longer. But what really is evolved last few years are the apps. So now all the check-ins done on the app. Um, so I was in a year ago, I was in uh, Galveston, Texas, just outside of Houston, when we were launching a ship there. Um, and everyone that boarded that ship, it was 15 minutes from the parking lot to the bar. 15 wow. minutes. Because wow. the vast majority, 85% plus, were doing everything via the app, meaning taking their picture, registering their credit card. And that now they're even doing the safety briefing on the app. So no longer does do we have to shut down on day of embarkation for about an hour for the safety briefing. You listen, you literally go on the app, you listen to the alarm bells, you follow a few directions, you go, go check in where your, um, where your station is. But when you go check in, you can bring a cocktail with you. So nothing shuts down any longer. It's a whole different piece. But you know, already, already, I know that people listening are going are gonna to actually be very find that very appealing. Yes. How did this? I want to move on to that design shortly. But yeah. who are the brains, and where's the thought behind all of this? What was the kind of the, the light moment to to move forward with these initiatives? Well, it didn't come from me. So uh, we have had uh, a CEO who uh, retired just a few years ago. Richard um, Fain. Richard Fain, yes. Um, who really pioneered a lot of this and drove a lot of this. And uh, we've had on retainer um, queue specialists, line specialists, um, just to figure out how we can get around any lines. And really the modern technology has allowed us to do that now. Even, even now when you disembark the ship and in certain big ports of call like Miami and Fort Lauderdale, um, you have to do very little. I, and it's the same thing that happened yesterday. I just spoke about yesterday. Two days ago, I flew in from Mexico. And as I went through US Customs, they didn't even look at my passport. All they did was take a picture of me, and the guy behind the, behind the desk said, thank you, Mr. Grau, go ahead. It's all facial recognition, so it moves enormously fast. Do you have a fail-safe, though, Doug? Do you have like a B plan? We know that technology can be hit or miss at the best of times. Yeah, um, we haven't had to put it in place too often. And again, there are certain ports of call that don't have uh, those uh, those technological advancements in place. Sometimes it depends on the on the port of call itself. Um, so there's always a like, we can always go live with with our tablets, and you'll see that when you check in now that everyone's checking in with a tablet. You don't necessarily have to go to a desk. There's scanners. So so even if we had to go that direction, it moves much faster. So what, 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 with the, um, the the customer service questionnaires, what have you felt has been the, the, the response, the feedback from these new initiatives? So the, the tough part about feedback is that you don't know if something's good, you always know if it's bad, right? So you always get feedback when things don't work. Yeah. Um, and really for many years, the, 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 the pain points or the friction points 
that we've had were on embarkation and disembarkation because now we're reliant on U.S. customs or customs of another country. Um, and then we might have half the ship that are U.S., half the ship that are non-U.S. So it really depended. Uh, there were a lot of what we were dependent on many other areas that we didn't control. But by putting in the facial recognition and the apps, um, it really fell back in our control. And so our ratings have never been higher overall. What has been your competitors' response to what you've been achieving over the, the last 25 years or so? I, I think all are moving in that direction. I think we were the first one with the app. I know uh, Princess specifically has been pushing your wearables, uh, which is the device you wear to get on and off the ship, that type of thing. Um, I don't think it's that much different. Um, we just feel that with the app, everyone's got a smartphone. You know, they can do all the stuff beforehand where you can't do it with the wearable. So that's that's the direction we decided. And what about um, we're going back to the, the the design and the 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 fuel? How is it fueled the new icon of the seas? It's natural gas. It so is natural it's gas. First, first ever. Wow. So it's all natural gas. We're we're playing with a lot of um, a lot of. Uh, advancements uh, as far as even uh, solar panels and those types of things and you know I could go deep into this rabbit hole but if you ever want to take a look at our environmental impact study which we do every year you can go just to the royalcaribbean.com website and scroll all the way to the bottom hit environment and it's multiple pages of what we're working on right now so from the mechanics of the of the vessel to let's just say the the fun part and that's inside if you could maybe just give us like a, a mental picture of what guests can expect from their cabins. Has this tech, uh, the technological innovations, have they transferred to the cabins as regards to watching TV and ordering and um, just making their stay more comfortable? Um, yes. So there are certain things uh, that we've been playing with for a while. And um, if you remember, and you, you're, you've been on ships lately as well, um, you know, uh, the photographers are a great example. So now when you board and they take a picture of, they'll swipe your card, not because they're charging you for anything, but because now they can attach your photographs to your room. So we're playing with technology now that allows you, while you're in your room, to turn on the photo channel and look at your own photographs instead of having to go down that gigantic, you know, hall of photographs and kind of sort through them. Um, so that's one way we can do it. Again, the photographer has facial recognition, so that makes it a little bit easier. Um, so as far as the cabins go, um, I, I, I am, I'm happy to say I'm a little bit more European in that there's one card key, a card key that oh, it turns on everything once you get into the room. That hasn't been a very American um, thing that happens where you go and you've got to put the card key in the slot and it turns on the lights. So that's become, uh, that's something we've, we've started doing and it's become very ecologically friendly as well. Um, we heard so, I mean, it really was, it was a blaze with glory back in 2009, the new robotic arm in the bar. Uh, yes. That proved to be a great success. Is this something that, is, that, that guests can also experience on the Icon of the Seas? It's not on Icon. So what we did with Icon is we wanted to revisit all the public spaces and everything we were offering. And because we have it on a number of other ships, all of our Oasis class ships, for example, it'll, it'll remain on there. We're very happy to have it. It's kind of amazing to walk by it because people will sit there and watch that, those robotic arms make drinks 
for hours. It's incredible. I'll walk by and two hours, two hours later, it's the same group of people watching them make drinks. So it's 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 kind You're of. You're not sat with them for the two hours, are you watching them? No, I, I got stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are what are some of the, let's say for example, the theatres? What would what would guests experience with within the theatres on on board the Icon? What type of shows? So one of the one of the biggest evolutions is the aqua theater. So on, on the back end, the aft part of all of our Oasis class ship, there is an aqua theater, 13 feet deep. Um, there's a floor that goes up and down. So our performers are not only diving, but they can dive in the water without you seeing them get out. So the shows include the divers. It includes a, an entire underwater team that have got um, extra extra oxygen down there so they can get out that way. So that whole venue has moved from the back end of the ship, which is mostly outside, to a dome at the very front top of the ship. So it's called the Aqua Dome now. So not only can we do the performances, the water performances in the Aqua Dome, but the dome itself has become also a venue space uh, for some restaurants and some lounging as well. So it's become even bigger and better than it was before, but that's probably the major, the biggest change we're seeing in that space on board. You have turned the industry uh, on its head, to, to say the least. The ship now has become the destination rather than the island or the, the location. So whilst the ship is at sea, what else can guests uh, experience and do on board in terms of uh, activities and leisure, uh, leisure time? Well, we've always had, we've always had the rock climbing wall uh, we've had those for quite a number of years, even before we started the rock climbing wall, I want to say 99 with Voyager of the Seas um, and the Voyager class ships. And then we've added the circulator um, on board the ship, so they'll be on board the vessel as well. Uh, we, there's more pools than ever before. And really the, the, the mandate when we built this ship was it was going to be in warm weather destinations. We want as many pools, as many water activities as possible. So you've got an area for kids, uh, and when we talk about kids, I'm talking about children of all ages. And I, I want to point out too that on our ships, we, we are a family brand. Um, so for quite some time, we've had 30, 40,000 square feet of space just for our kids. I don't know what that converts to in meters, and I'm sorry for that. But um, uh, so it's a lot of dedicated space for kids and teenagers. Um, and really for teenagers, we find that space is so important because that's where they go and they kind of meet up with the friends they've met with on board. Teenagers are, are tough because they don't really want to go to designated programs, except for the last thing they want to do. So as long as they have a dedicated space that's um, that's managed by our team of uh, youth counselors, usually pretty good. They are the guests of tomorrow, teenagers. It's a really valid point that you raise. So what do you what do you what do you offer them? Um, oh, the, teens, the, the kids have got lots of stuff going on. So there's dedicated space on board the ship for them. There's dedicated slides and pool areas. Uh, our, our Adventure Ocean Youth Program is open uh, to all children free of charge. The minimum requirement there is they've got to be three years old and potty trained to be part of the program. And they can be there all the way through their teens. But even if they're younger than three, um, and uh, they're babies, up to starting at six months, we have nurseries on the vast majority of our ships. Uh, that, that guests can put their, their very small children in. Uh, and then from about uh, year one to year three, we've got kind of a, um, a program where the parents come in and there's like playtime with the kids. So it's actually participatory. What about the traditional older guests? What do you find with some of the people who are 
uh, maybe 70 years plus the seniors and they are historically traditional cruises how are they reacting to these modern changes that you've implemented within the industry well you know being 70 is not what it once was um, and I'll use my mother as a great example. Uh, when she was 72, we took her on a cruise. My siblings and I all took her on a cruise. And uh, we discovered that she went missing for a couple of hours a day. And don't tell me she's on the water slide. Well, she wasn't on the water slide. <laughs> but we, so my sister, who thinks she's an FBI agent, trailed her one day because she thought she'd met a guy. <laughs> so what she was doing, she was going out to the flow ride of the surf simulator, and she wasn't getting on it. But she'd get herself a cocktail, sit there and watch and laugh for an hour. She thought that was the most entertaining thing there was. So just because you don't, just because we have the flow rider and we have the rock climbing wall and all these things doesn't mean you have to participate. A lot of these things are watchable um, and you know you can live through everyone else who's participating. And that's such a good point because often we learn that when you when you do create an activity, lots of people don't want to take part, but they want to watch. So. There's an audience. Now, um, what about solo travelers? Do you offer guest uh, solo occupancy cabins? We don't have a ton of them. There's there's not any on Icon, but there are solo cabins on some of our other ships, both our Quantum Class and our Icon. Oh, I'm sorry, Quantum Class and our Oasis Class. Um, and those you only pay for the one guest. They are smaller than the regular rooms and they're kind of scattered throughout the ship. Um, I would say our uh, Quantum Class probably have more than most and on a quantum class there's even single balconies they're tight they're made for one person but if you want to go solo you can do that and how how many of the cabins have got balconies uh i don't know off the top of my head the, i'm talking about icon the vast majority the vast majority there's more boxes what about wheelchair users uh, I, I would imagine a ship of this size it, it's it must be ideal for them because there's just so much space is that so absolutely so uh, here in the States, we've got to fall under the Americans for Disability Act, which requires that everything is wheelchair accessible. So when you build a ship, you're really building, expecting to fall under that act for the next 20 or 25 years, right? So you can't really just add something onto a vessel. So you've already got to kind of build it in. So that's always been built in. So we're talking about uh, we're talking about electronic arms that help people get in and out of the pool. Um, gotta, yeah, oh, they've been in place for many years now. Um, so there's there's a whole ton of things we do for our, our guests that have got limitations or disabilities. Uh, and they're not just mobility disabilities. So an example is uh, our deaf guests. So here in the States, if our deaf guests are, are cruising with us, they let us know six months in advance and we're leaving from a U.S. port, we source um, two uh, sign language interpreters uh, for even even if there's just one guest. We, we cover that cost. And those interpreters are available to them. Uh, uh, up to 20 guests, they will bring more on if, if needed. Um, so we've had that in place for a long time. I have sat with our, um, our accessible seas department, which handles all the special requests, whether it's dietary, mobility, hearing, seeing, uh, dialysis for that matter. Um, and I understood about 25% of what they were saying after about two hours with them. So they are, they are the experts here, and those are the ones you want to reach out to uh, to see if you fall on those parameters. Things like autism, there's a very large scale, and even mobility. You know, some people might need a wheelchair because they can't stand too long and they can't go up steps, uh, where others are, are in the wheelchair all the time. 
Well, this is obviously an walk inclusivity that would appeal to a lot of guests. And you talk about um, culinary requirements as well. I would imagine that, of course, you take everything into consideration as regards to gluten-free and all of the, the other culinary requirements that your guests um, uh, ask for. And do they have to, again, do that in, in advance or can they do it once they come on board? They can always do it once they come on board if you can let us know in advance, especially if it's an allergy, a peanut allergy, those types of things. Please let us know. Then it's in the record and everyone on the on the culinary side can see it. Um, if you wait till you get on board, it might take a little more time for everyone to get up to speed. So just let us know beforehand. Your travel agent can, can do that for you and, and, and put that notation in there. Uh, again, here in the States, we've had a lot more celiac disease. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking for um, uh, food choices, um, that don't include gluten, then that's another great option. And we've seen more and more of those in the last four or five years than we've ever had before. And can you see the way that I steered us very nicely towards everybody's favorite pastime on board, and that is eating. So, <laughs> Doug, I mean, I would imagine that you've got chefs from all over the world serving a gastronomical delight of, of food. I mean, where do we yes. begin? But if you could bullet point the type of food that the guests can experience on board Icon, what would it be? It's, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, certainly we've got the main dining room that we always have. That's part of your cruise. So you go there for, uh, for dinner most often. You can certainly go there depending on the day for breakfast or lunch. Uh, we've got the Windjammer Cafe, which is our uh, more, more buffet style. But even that's evolved over the last 10 or 15 years where really it was only open for breakfast and lunch. But now it's open for dinner as kind of a casual dining option. Um, so you can go go in there at night with just shorts and a t-shirt on. If you've been in port all day or a little exhausted, you can do that quick and easy. But there's a whole host of um, a whole host of specialty restaurants, from steakhouse um, to uh, to an Italian uh, gourmet uh, restaurant called Giovanni's. Uh, I think the big takeaway and the big difference we've seen in the last few years, and certainly happening on Icon uh, more than on any other ship are the grab and go options. So we have more grab and go options by the pool. So uh, if you want to get a quick burrito or some tacos, we've got a Mexican grab and go uh, called uh, El Loco Fresh. Um, so it's more of that kind of grab and go that people are looking for. They don't want to sit down always for an hour, uh, 45 minutes to an hour and a half for a meal. They just want to grab something quick and go, especially if they're by the pool. They don't want to have to go put their clothes back on if they've been lying by the pool, go inside the wind jammer or the dining room, and then come back out an hour and a half later. They just want to grab something quick, have it poolside. And the, the main restaurant, how many guests does that seat? Or, or does that fall within the neighborhoods? This is what I was quite interested to find out. Is it, as I say, make one main restaurant, or as, it, as I say, is a, each neighborhood designated a restaurant? No, again, the neighborhoods aren't split up that way. You're not required to stay in the neighborhood that you are either booked in or that you're visiting. So the, the main dining room is a three-story dining room. It's massive. Um, and, and that is uh, available to everyone. It's not in any designated neighborhood. I'd love to see that. That must be, it must be quite awe-inspiring just to look at that three, three tiers of everybody literally just sitting down on a on a formal night. Now, on a formal night, is it is it still formal attire or is it semi-formal? Um, I, I think it depends on what you're comparing it to. From the time you and I worked on board, it's a lot less formal than it once was. 
uh, especially if you're thinking about going to a warm weather edition like the Caribbean, that's where Icon will ultimately sail, is in the Caribbean. You know, people don't want to pack as much as they once did. They don't want to have to pay for all the extra luggage costs. They don't want to haul all their stuff around. So what we typically see on a regular seven-night cruise is there used to be two formal nights. There used to be the captain's welcome party, which usually was, usually, the first day at sea and people get dressed up. And people still get dressed up for that. But what we are seeing is that families will come on, everyone gets dressed up, the kids are wearing their suits, and, uh, the young girls are wearing their dresses and they get pictures. And then once dinner's over, they go back to their room and change and put on shorts and t-shirts. So, so still the, that, yeah, everybody still wants that excuse to get dressed and then there's the informality, then they can go to the show, which I think really does make sense. And you talk about destinations, and it's certainly something that I want to do as we kind of close our, our, our interview today, our get together. And yeah. I to thank you for, I know you're a very busy man, but when it comes to destinations, logistically, um, how are some of the small islands coping with such a large amount of footfall from the ships? Are they able, have they got the infrastructure, are they pleased? Because I know some places around the world are now, of course, banning ships because they're too big. How, how, how does that work with ICON? So there are some ports that are banning ships, and I think Venice was probably the most um, recent one where they were banning anything. It was over 74,000 gross tons. Um, and uh, they weren't letting it go through the Grand Canal. And that had more to do with the, um, the uh, movement it was making in the water to go through the Grand Canal than anything else. So, so Venice has become very restrictive. I want to say Barcelona, probably for those of you in the UK that go to Barcelona can jump over there quite quickly. Um, there's a little over tourism there. Um, but when we look at where the big ships go, they don't go to the small parts of Paul. Um, so we only go to the big ports of call and only ports where we are, we have a dock. Um, so we do not go anywhere we can tender. That would be moving far too slow. And even when we look at our private islands, uh, so we have Perfect Day in Coco Cay uh, in the Bahamas, and we've got Labadee in Haiti uh, that we've had both for over 30 years. Um, we've since in the last few years built piers there. So people can walk right off the ship and in a place like Coco Cay, which uh, we redesigned uh, in 2018 uh, to the tune of about $250 million. Um, the pier gave us a lot of operational benefits. So before then, we used to tender ashore. We'd have to bring everyone ashore by boat. And even the supplies, the food for the day and the drinks and everything had to come over on the boat, which is a, a real challenge. Uh, now there's a pier, we just drop it right off at the pier. We don't have to bring it back because there's another ship in the next day. So operationally, it works much, much better. Well, that's that's good to hear. Now, it's a massive investment that you've made post-COVID. How does yes. that reflect in the pricing for the guests? Do, are you still competitive within the industry? So pricing is always variable. And, you know, it, it has been an investment post-COVID, but ICON, the planning started 10 years ago, and really the design started six years ago. And over the last two and a half, three years, it was the building process. So really got caught in COVID. Um, and got delayed slightly um, during that time when people couldn't go to work, they couldn't go to the shipyard. So things slowed down kind of across the board there. Um, from a pricing perspective, it really is demand, how high in demand it is. And the Icon, we have never seen a ship this in demand in our history. And we've been around over 50 years. Um, so the price for Icon is quite high. There's no question about it. Um, so you'll find very high pricing kind of across the board. Uh, for 2024, we're about, 70% uh, booked for the entire year. So the ship 
launches uh, on uh, the, 20, or the 20th of January. Um, so it launches then, you're booked heavily. And that's the, the best booking curve we've ever seen for any ship we've ever launched. Um, so the pricing is gonna run high. Um, what we typically see though, is if you are more on a budget or wanna be more careful about it, you can easily look at any of our Oasis class ships. Um, and they're gonna be uh, more um, reasonably priced because they don't have the same demand as a brand new ship. A brand new ship will always be priced high because it's a brand new ship. Doug Rowell, Director of Sales for Royal Caribbean, Royal Caribbean as we say here in the UK, yes. International. Thank you so much for joining us here at Travel.Radio, your destination station. And we really do wish you the very best of luck. And I don't think you need it. You sound like you're going full steam ahead. Thank you once Thank again. You, Bye.